Step out into the open air and claim your freedom waiting there. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Coffee in the Corral. I'm Abigail Hobbs, and I have a confession to make. I am currently not in the corral this morning. I'm in the barn, and I'm not drinking coffee I'm drinking tea. Please let me explain before you just decide to stop listening to this episode. <laughs> it's raining outside, which is so awesome because we have had a horrible drought this year. So really glad to be getting rain. In fact, you probably hear it right now on this recording. Um, that's because I'm in the barn and it's a tin roof. So I debated on whether this would be annoying for everybody to have the sound of the rain, but maybe you can just picture yourself sitting in the barn with me under the tin roof listening to my story today because I just didn't want to be inside. And I'm not drinking coffee because I've been sick and um, had a really bad congestion, really bad sore throat, so... Coffee doesn't feel very good on my sore throat, so I'm trying to be a good girl and drink tea today, even though I really miss my coffee. Wow, the rain is getting really hard. Um, I hope you can still hear me. Anyways, uh, I do have my dog with me. Deo followed me out here. We're sitting on the hay bales, and he's taking a nap with me. So he's my emotional support animal today. The horses are currently standing out in the rain. I'll probably put them in the stalls tonight when the temperature drops, but as long as it's not too cold, they would actually prefer to be out in the weather than to be in the stalls. So we're going to leave them out till it gets too cold. So anyways, oh my goodness. Okay. Forgive my voice today. It feels really scratchy and um, kind of on the verge of losing it, but Anyways, I'll just try to keep drinking tea while I'm talking and hopefully make it through this episode today. So, um, I left off where we had decided to move into a house by ourselves, which was technically not a house. It was a can, two storage cans that uh, Nate's had helped his dad, basically when he was a teenager, helped his dad build a house on top of it. So it was small, but um, it was perfect for our family. We fixed it up, moved into that. And despite all of the people thinking that we were terribly selfish for wanting to live by ourselves, um, Nate, he just doesn't care what people think about him. I love that about him. He's just like, you know what? He doesn't give a shit. When he makes up his mind to do something, um, he's not a people pleaser. And sometimes that's bugged me just because, like, I'm like, honey, like, but people are going to think this about you or whatever. And he's like, I don't care. And I, I, so there's, of course, that part of me that I don't want people to think bad things about him. But he doesn't give a rip because um, he knows himself and he is true to himself. And I fucking love that and I'm learning how to be more like that 
because I'm realizing this people-pleasing thing is a really shitty job. So I have retired from that. No, I haven't retired because <laughs> I'm not getting paid anything. I just quit. And that's okay. <clears throat> so, anyways, um, we moved into the kitchen. My youngest, Ava, she was probably about nine months old. We didn't have any air conditioning. Uh, we didn't have any heat. And we, we ended up getting a an old giant wood stove from a, a family that lived in the village that used to be Amish. And uh, so Nate set our house up to where we could have a wood stove in it. And we would chop wood for it to heat the house during the winter time when it was so awesome. I loved, loved, loved having a wood stove. And I love chopping wood. I love being outside. So it was right up my alley. I was like, bring it. Yes. Yes to uh, chopping wood. And we would go as a family and collect wood. And it was really, really fun. But, um, yeah, a lot of people look down on us because we chose to live by ourselves in the village. And looking back, that was a really important year for us. Um, because during that year is the time that we decided to move to Colorado. And one night, Nate came home. And he said, uh, I think we should move. And that was just crazy because I, I used to ask Nate every year, like around New Year's Eve, you know, like when you're talking about what are our New Year's Eve re resolutions, I would ask him every year almost when we were married, like, can we move yet? Like, is it our turn? Because a lot of my, a lot of our peers had moved out of the village to go start other churches or they just moved away because they left the village and they were horrible, bad people. That's Or that's what we were told. So, um, and Nate would always say the same thing every year when I would ask him. He'd be like, um, I'm like, can we move yet? And he's like, you know, I'm just waiting for God to tell me. I'm like, well, like, what is God telling you? And he said, you know, just do the next thing. Just do the next thing take the next step, you know, whatever's in front of me. And so he was waiting for like God to speak this big, strong word to him that he should move. And, you know, my husband's the kind of guy that like, he wasn't, he wasn't looking for wild, crazy adventures. He's not always looking for the most fun, newest, exciting thing. He was just very responsible, patient, um, you know, I was the one that was like, let's do something crazy and wild. And, you know, he's like, let's just do, go to work and, you know, do the whatever the next right thing is, you know. It's raining really hard. <clears throat> I hope you guys can hear me. Um, so, anyways, he came home and he said, I think we should move. And I was like, I screamed, What? Because I couldn't believe it. I was like, something's wrong. This is not my husband. What did you do with him? <laughs> and uh, he's like, yeah, I think we should move. I said, why? He said, well, I just feel like, you know, like I've been asking God, like, just tell me when to move. Tell me when to move. And, and, and he said, I feel like God just said, what are you waiting for? Like, just pick somewhere and move. And I was like, what? Are you serious? Are you fucking serious? Of course, I didn't say fucking back then because that was very unholy of me and I would have gone to hell. 
<laughs> I probably said, are you serious? Anyways, um, he's like, well, and I was like, well, where? Where would we move, you know? And he said, um, Colorado. And I screamed. I just screamed super loud. And it was like midnight. My kids were sleeping. And I, <laughs> I just, I didn't care. I was so literally shocked. I screamed. I was like, because we went to Colorado um, for a honeymoon. We were only there for three days. We loved it so much. And we hadn't been back there since then. And I don't know. At this point, we'd been married um, 11, 11 years, I think. So, but we both had, you know, joked about Colorado being our dream place to move to. So then I was like, oh my gosh, well, like, we got to start talking to people, you know, and like, you know, of course, that's where my brain first went, like, because that's how I got married was like, we got to get everybody's okay with this, you know, and anyways, <clears throat> over the next year, we started talking to people and Nate would tell him what he felt like God had told him. It was just, what are you waiting for? And people were not very receptive of it. Um, but one thing about they, one thing about, it's interesting because I talk about this with Nate, but like people didn't really question Nate that much. He was a man and he, um, he's a, he's a person of few words. So people always were like, oh my God, if Nate says something like it is, it must be from the mouth of God because he's just so wise and he hardly ever speaks. And so, um, like I was, I, I was, um, shamed a lot more and controlled a lot more one because I was a woman and two, because you know, uh, how dare I speak up and how dare I have thoughts and opinions and stuff. And, and, so he was like the reverend one. And so people didn't give a lot of pushback to him about the idea, but they also were very clear about they weren't really happy with it. And they didn't, they weren't going to stop us. Basically, <clears throat> they were like, we're not going to stop you if this is what you feel like you need to do. But just go do what you feel like you need to do and then hurry up and come back home. So they were not... Like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yes, you should do whatever you think you should do. Like, follow your heart, follow your gut, follow your dreams. None of that. That was not the response. It was more like, okay, well, if this is what you feel you need to do, then I guess you need to do it. But get it out of your system and come on back home. And, of course, all of the, the ladies that I talked to, they all cried and we're like, no, you guys can't leave. You can't. You're like the life of the village, you know, everyone. We need you. We need you here. Why do you have to go out to the world? Like, you can be here. This is where you're needed. And so I got a lot of guilt put on me about it. And, um, of course, Nate didn't care. He really wasn't asking for people's um, blessing. He was just kind of telling them what he was thinking. And I'm I'm so glad. I, I am crazy grateful that he's that kind of man and that he wasn't just groveling to them because um you know at that time I would have totally been that type of person like you know unless they say it's okay then I guess we can't go you know and he was like you know this is what we're doing it's going to take them some time to warm up to the idea but we're going to do it anyways and it took us a year to be able to find property that we could actually rent um we have so it took a lot of 
searching. We looked for a while. And so over that year, people warmed up to the idea enough that they weren't like sobbing and crying the whole time. But even right before we left, the last gathering that we went to, I remember thinking this is our last gathering before we move. And, you know, I had watched my older sisters who moved out of the village and they want to go. One of them went to go start um, a church in Memphis and another one went to start a church in California. And when they moved away, they had this huge blessing going away um, celebration uh, given to them where the whole church came together and just like everybody stood up and talked about how awesome they were and how they were going to do amazing things and how they were being sent out as God's people to go take, you know, take our church, basically take our, you know, the body of Christ to the world and save the world. And, and they just got so pumped up and just given, I just remember being at those gatherings and being like, oh my gosh, I can't wait for it to be my turn someday. You know, like I just, I, I thought my sisters were just the most amazing people ever. And, you know, their families were being sent out with all of this blessing and all of this love and all of this support. And then it came time for us in our last gathering. Um, it w- we did not get that. Um, there was a lot of quiet. I remember being there several minutes of the gathering where nobody stood up and said anything. It was just awkward and quiet. And then um, our neighbors, one of our neighbors that we had gotten close to and, and kind of raised our kids together the last year because we live right next door, um, they stood up and talked about us moving away and they cried and just said how sad they were and just how, you know, they were trying to believe that this is what God had for us, but it was just really hard for them and they're not really sure. And it was depressing. I remember feeling so fucking depressed. And several other people talked about just how sad they were that we were leaving and how they hoped they hoped that we would, you know, be able to find God or take God to, you know, whoever. Like, it was just so depressing and sad. And I remember sitting there going, what the fuck? Like, my sisters were sent out with all of this hoopla and just love and support. And everybody was saying how awesome they were and how they were going to change the world. And God had chosen them. And it came time for us and people were just crying and like, well, we hope that you can figure this out and hurry up and come back home. Literally, only one person stood up and um, he was, so remember I said that I taught horsemanship students and I, at one point I was teaching 80 students. Uh, over the years, you know, all my students grew up and a lot of them moved away, but I had a, two students that were still in the village um, before I left and one of them had just moved away and his name was Josh and he him and another girl were my last two students and Josh's dad stood up and said he started crying and he said how grateful he was because I had taught a lot of his kids in, in horsemanship and Josh was his last um, child that I had taught he just said how grateful he was that I had taught his kids over the years and how much he had seen that it helped them 
and with his son Josh, you know, was, was struggling when he was young, and just how much it helped him. And he had watched his son just really kind of mature and, and be helped out through horsemanship. Like he kind of found himself and found something he was good at. And, and I loved Josh. I loved him so much. He was a wonderful student. And um, he had, Josh had just recently moved to go work at a dude ranch. And I was just so proud of him. He took his horse with him. I knew he was going to do, he was going to take what he learned and, and, you know, take good horsemanship to other places. And I was so proud of him. But anyways, his dad just shared about how grateful he was. And he said, you know, and I remember he, he looked at me and he was crying and he said, you know, you have given yourself to all of these kids over the years. And, um, he said, it's, it's time for you to go share that with the rest of the world. And, um, I remember just, like, I cried when he shared that with me. And, uh, I remember thinking, you know, that was so meaningful to me. I really felt like he saw me in that moment. And, um, he was one of the guys in the village that, um, he was never allowed to be a leader. Um, and he was you know, like, unless you were on the leaders, I don't, I don't understand the power and control of it all, but like there was things that was said about him sometimes and, oh, Jeremiah is this or he's that or he's, you know, like, but he, he was a person that always saw me, I felt like growing up. And, um, so in that moment, I just felt very seen and I was like, you know what? I don't care. I don't care if nobody else understands why we're moving and nobody else supports it. Like, it felt so healing to be seen by him, you know, because I had been teaching students for years, like 12 years. And, um, I don't know, just that simple few minutes of being thanked and being seen and, uh, it wasn't somebody saying, oh, I'm so sad you're going. It's just terrible. Get it out of your system. It was somebody saying, no. Like, you." Ha I remember that he said, you have a gift, you know, and the rest of the world needs that. And um, a year, I think a year after we moved, he died. He died of a heart attack and. I, I wasn't able to go back for his funeral. It was, but uh, he was one of the people that I always, I always felt kind of close to because no matter what was going on with my parents or the leaders, like um, Jeremiah, he was, he just, he was always there to check on me and uh, give me a big hug and just. I remember he just looked at me and be like, how are you doing? And, you know, it doesn't take, we don't need a lot of people in our lives to support us. We just need a couple really good ones. And growing up, um, Jeremiah and his wife, uh, those, 
I was probably the closest to them. I think I shared about, um, sorry, nose is running. I think I shared about Jeremiah's wife was Magdala, and she died when I was 14. Um, she was my best friend. <sighs> so, um, anyways, I'm going off on a rabbit trail now. But we moved away, <clears throat> regardless of people not supporting us. And it was so much fun. We had no savings. My husband had no job. We were moving to a rental house that was three times the amount that we were paying in the village. And we were so fucking excited. Like, we didn't care. We were like, we're doing it. We, we put our move on a credit card, like renting the U-Haul, the gas. We drove. Well, I had two horses at that time. So we had to stop at an Airbnb that had a barn on the way. So it took us two days to travel. And uh, another young single girl came with us to help drive. And then uh, we flew her back afterwards. But it was so much fun. I remember driving away being like, we're doing it. Like we are finally finding our own adventure. And we moved to Colorado with no money. We had no money and no job. And we didn't know a fucking person there. We didn't know a fucking person there. And for some reason, this couple let us, allowed us to rent this house that was on 60 acres. Um, and come to find out, like, once we moved there, we didn't realize what a crazy, um, what a crazy deal it was that we actually found property. For one, finding property to rent for horses is uh, very rare in Colorado because there's not a lot of property there. And anyways, the fact that these people let us move there and my husband had no job. Like, I don't know why they trusted us. But anyways, somehow we survived. My husband just started contacting as many, like, cabinet places nearby, calling around, trying to. He had started his own business in Tennessee, but of course... He had to restart it back in Colorado. And so it was just crazy. Like he did any, he went on the thumbtack and just did any job he could find. And the awesome thing is like he's a handyman, so he can do anything. But he would just work for anybody, for almost anything at the beginning, just to be able to start getting jobs. And I sometimes literally we don't know how we paid for all of our expenses. I do remember like grocery shopping and the first year we basically just ate beans and rice and I cooked it as many ways as possible. And I remember having like $79 to go grocery shopping and that had to last us for a whole week for a family of five. And I made it work. I was like, oh, I can do this. I'm from a family of nine. I know how to stretch it out. <laughs> so, uh. We did it somehow. We don't even know how except for like we just wanted to so bad. So we made it work. And um, of course, in the first two weeks we moved there, I remember feeling guilty because we hadn't found a church yet. We were just still busy unpacking and stuff. And we started going to this one church that was right in town. 
just because Nate had known one of the guys, or he had contacted a cabinet guy, and apparently the cabinet guy invited us to his church. So we started visiting there, and it was one of those churches where there's, I don't not very many people, and most of them are 60 years and older. So it was all older people, and really nobody young, no kids hardly. And so, of course, they were like sponges, like, come here, come here, come here, and um, I don't know. I, we just felt like, okay, this is where we're supposed to be, I guess. And so we jumped in head first and, you know, trying to bring all we knew is what we'd ever known. So we thought we will bring the body of Christ to this church, you know. So I joined the worship team and, um, we got really involved. We were taking care of, we were, took up the lawn care and helped with cleaning the church. I helped clean the church every month and just jumping in head first and trying to do all the things we knew to do, you know. And I hosted ladies meetings at my house every month. And we had cookouts and get togethers at our house. We just did, we basically, we were like, okay, we're going to just recreate what we've always known. Like, instead of just going to church on Sundays, you know, we're going to like make it about being with each other all the time. So we tried to recreate that. And, um, you know, people seemed to really love it and people loved us and we're like, oh, this is amazing. Like, I felt really bad for my kids because they were like the only kids there. And, you know, every once in a while there'd be a couple other kids, um, but they didn't come on a regular basis. And so, uh, basically we were the young family with a bunch of old people. <laughs> and so, um, but we just thought, you know, we're just going to give and, and, you know, basically show them what it means to be the true church. And I look back on that. And I'm like, oh my God, we were, we just, we were recreating what only thing we ever knew. And that's what, and I remember calling home and talking to my friends at home and them, be, them being like so proud of us for, you know, like bringing the body of Christ there. But then they would always, at the end of the conversation, be like, okay, can you, home, can you come home yet? You know, are you done yet? So, um, we went to this church and to be honest with you, I never liked it. I hated going in for one. I had never, I hadn't sit and had like a traditional church, um, setting my whole life since I was very little, you know, so when we had gatherings, we would sit in circles and, you know, so this like sitting back in pews and having one pastor that was like, I was like, no, this is not what it's about, you know. And so I was very strong thinking that, you know, they're doing it wrong and we need to show them how to do it right. And, of course, all of this very uh, judgmental outlook that I had been trained to have. Um, but we, we kept with it and we just did all the things that we knew to do, even though Nate and I would both lament how much we did not like going to church. We hated it, actually. And I remember just being so frustrated, feeling like people were so fake when I went there. Hi, how are you? And oh my goodness, like, it's been hard, but God is good. He's so good. Yes, isn't he so good? And like, I'm like, oh my God, please, everybody shut up. I would be so annoyed with how fake, I, it felt like everyone was so fake all the time. Ugh. 
And so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of how long we, I think we went there. We went there for two years. And finally, um, I remember some stuff started for a long time, things weren't sitting really well with us, but then some things started coming about, about finances, and the pastor was asking for more money and trying to explain why he needed more money and why the church needed more money. And it, we ended up sitting down, Nate and I sat down with the pastor and his wife, and we were like, something's not right. Like, what's going on with this whole money thing? Can you explain it to us? And it doesn't feel right. And it, I remember he's explaining it to us, and I just, I confronted him because I'm like, I don't like the way this feels. And... I don't even remember what I said, but I just remember he did not like me being honest and confronting him. And he just turned on me and became like this savage lion and attacked me, started saying all these things. And and I remember like saying this one Bible verse and he was like, he turned, that's not what the Bible verse is saying. And I'll tell you what it's really saying and blah, 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 blah. And I mean, he just drilled me into the ground. Like, made me feel like the world's worst person. And uh, I just curled up in a ball, and I started crying. And I couldn't stop crying. And he just kept he just kept at me. And Nate just sat there. He didn't know what to do. And I remember being so upset because I wanted Nate to stand up to him and be like, don't talk to my wife like that. Um, but at that time, you know, like, Nate had been very well uh, trained in the village that he was never allowed to stand up for his wife, ever. He had gotten in trouble if he had tried to stand up for me. So there's numerous times that Nate had to sit and just watch me get in trouble and get drilled and get um, hammered about something, and Nate would have to just watch me go through it. So at that time, you know, he wasn't brave enough to stand up. Um, and so I just I cried, and then finally I just looked over at Nate and said, I, I, I need to go. I have to go. And I couldn't talk. I literally couldn't talk. And so Nate said, okay, let's go. So we ended up leaving, and it was really awkward. And we never went back to church there. That was the last time we went. And um, we tried to explain. We actually sat down with all the other people in the church that because we were close to everybody, you know. We had opened up our home and our lives to them for two years. We sat down with them and just told, because we didn't know what the pastor was going to tell everybody, but we, so we took time to sit and talk with everybody face to face and said, hey, this is, you know, we're just not feeling right. Like, we don't feel like um, we're supposed to be coming on Sunday mornings anymore. We're not saying that we have to not be your friends anymore, but we can't keep coming to church here. We love you. We still want to have you to our house. We still want to be friends. And basically everybody was like, well, that's not going to work. Um, and I don't know what the pastor told everybody, but after we moved a couple years, we, his wife actually called me and told me that he had cheated on her and he had been cheating on her and she just had never told anybody. And so the whole church broke up and he's not the pastor there anymore. And, um, thankfully, but it just was like confirmation that Nate and I, it was the first time we actually... Um, I shouldn't say the first time because I know moving away from the village was the first time that we listened to our gut. But it was probably the second time that we had listened to our gut as far as like it didn't feel right. We knew something was wrong. We knew something was going on, but we couldn't put our finger on it. Just something wasn't right. And the pastor, we could tell, wasn't telling the truth. And come to find out, he had been fucking around 
and um, yeah, covering it up. So um, I'm really glad we didn't go back there uh, because, you know, looking back at it, we were so stupid. We let him spend time with our kids and he really was working hard to build relationships with them. And we were so naive and dumb. Um, and I look back and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so glad we stopped going there before something tragic happened because he had no good intentions. <sighs> just, it scares me to think if we had kept going there. Anyways, I'm going to stop there. Um, I'm running out of time for today. Gosh, it's 32 minutes. I, I am really grateful to, uh, have the opportunity to share my story and for those of you that have reached out and said um, how much you can relate to it and um, have just been able to value my story and I hope it helps those that um, also you know spent time in the village I hope that listening to my podcast can also validate your story and to know that you're not the only one um, that has gotten fucked up by the village. And I just want to tell each one of you that I'm so sorry for all of the lies that I know got instilled in you through them. And um, yeah, I'm so glad we're not there anymore. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to tell my story. And uh, yeah. I don't know. I really started telling it because I felt I'm the I'm the kind of person that I just don't do fake shallow. Like I'm I just vulnerability is the only way I go and so I feel like if I have to hide certain parts of me that it's just not bringing all of myself to the table and so I feel like in this business that I'm starting freedom for the taking that it's really important for me to show up all of me um and then people get to choose you know if they don't like all of me that's okay they can find somebody else that um they feel comfortable with but I want those that um I, I don't know it's hard to say I guess I just I'm tired of of the, you know, the whole trying to pretend like we have all of our shit together. I'm really tired of that. And I feel like nobody really has their shit together. We're all struggling to find our way. And I want to be the person that is willing to be vulnerable and say, hey, look, I don't have my shit together. Like, we're all just struggling through life. Let's just support each other. And let's be real and honest and um, come from that place. Um, that's, that's the crowd of people that I want to be with. So for those of you that are showing up for this podcast, I trust that, um, that you're in that arena. So thank you for showing up every day as your authentic, true self. I love you all. I will see you next week. Um, yay for the rain, but hopefully... I can be in the corral next week with my coffee. Until then, uh, yeah, peace out. <laughs>
Okay, I'm I'm hopping back on here really quick. I know I said goodbye, <laughs> now I'm back. But um, I always take a few minutes to take some time for myself after my podcast because it's difficult for me talking about this stuff. And I was just thinking about my story about Jeremiah and I wrote something down. So I wanted to kind of honor him and read it here at the end of the podcast what I what I wrote down. It's just kind of a simple, um, I don't know, maybe like a type of a poem in honor of him. So I wanted to share it with you guys really quick. Um, So it says, thank you for seeing me when no one else did. You showed up when I needed it most. You spoke up when no one did. You cared about me. You believed in me. It felt like love to me. Love isn't magic. It doesn't fix things. Doesn't take away the grief. Doesn't give you the answers. Love is simple. It notices. It reaches out. It sees your pain. It feels your pain. It holds you. Thank you, Jeremiah, for being one of the rare examples of love in my life growing up. The moments you saw me will forever be memories of healing that I reflect on. All right. I love you guys. See you next week. If I wrote it in a song, would you believe it more? If I busted at the lock, Would you open the door? If I dare to speak my truth, would you still value me? If I reach my hand to you, would you reach it back to me? Darling, there's no reason why you should have to hide. Step out into the open air and claim your freedom waiting there.